this is Mike Winstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, today I'm in the booth with a very special guest, Mr. Dickie Lyons from Varsity Wealth. Dickie, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing very good. And Mike, I think last time I was on here, I know that uh, replace hopelessness with hope. If you go to my website, my uh, mission state statement is hope. Uh-huh. which is the acronym for help other people every day. I like it. And I think that's, uh, I think we mentioned that last time, but it's just, it's funny how they're so similar. Yeah. What we're trying to do. Well, hope is, uh, hope is a good thing. And, and true hope, lasting hope can only be found in the gospel, right? Yep. And I know you obviously are a Christian, a man who's been um, delivered from his sin, been saved and sanctified and is now helping people understand uh, what God has to say about money and how to um, use the resources that God has blessed them with in a way that honors him uh, and in a way that's effective, right? You can use money a lot of different ways. Not all of them are honoring to God and not all of them are effective. And so you've been helping people do that, Dickie. Why don't you just give us a little bit of background for those who are listening that don't know you, okay. uh, just about what you do um, on a day in and day out basis and kind of what your overall goal is with your company, Varsity Wealth. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. So the name Varsity Wealth came about with my partner, Paul Hodge, about two years ago during COVID. Um, but prior to that, you know, we worked under the umbrella of Northwestern Mutual. Mm-hmm. Um, I started there right out of, uh, I got cut from the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sitting around in the summertime and I got picked up doing oil spill work for the BP mm-hmm. oil spill. Mm-hmm in 2010 uh-huh. and then I did that for a short period of time and then saved up some money and an old football player Tim Couch who was like the number one draft pick in 1999 mm-hmm. um, which is why we call it Varsity Wealth you're hearing a lot of old football stories already yeah. but uh, but man his brother reached out he had a financial planning firm and he said you know what Dickie you'd probably be pretty good at this mm-hmm. um, it's all about helping others you got to be able to talk a little bit um, I can teach you but you really need to go under the Northwestern Mutual umbrella. They have the number one training platform in the country. So mm-hmm. I joined um, through good advice from somebody that I, I know, like, and trusted. Yeah. And uh, he was not wrong. And it's been 12 years. And we got to help thousands of people between me and Paul. Wow. And on a day-in, day-out basis, everything looks different every single day. Um, but, I mean, all we're doing is trying to make sure people have enough money for the things they want today for the things they want in the future, mm-hmm. um, and also protect what they have today. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Uh, it's even better uh, considering that we're going to be doing the financial stewardship workshop that's coming up uh, from when the time that you all listeners are hearing this in six days. So it's, we're recording this on a Monday. It's seven days away. So if you guys are listening and um, you maybe have some issues with your money, uh, maybe you don't really have any issues with money, but you just don't really know what God says about it. And you have a heart uh, that wants to honor him and desire him in the area of your finances. I would really encourage you to sign up for this workshop. Um, it's a tremendous value, um, both literally you know, for your bank account, uh, but also more importantly for your spirit and your uh, quality of worship. You know, God is the God of all money. The Bible says in the book of Haggai, which is a small book in the Minor Prophets, the second chapter in the eighth verse, God says that the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, it says in Psalm 24, verse one. So every single thing created in the earth, including the money, belongs to the creator. And if you are a Christian, 
um, then it means that your heart is, you, you desire in your heart to use the resources that God has given you in a way that honors him. Right, Dickie? Absolutely. And so that's effectively what our entire goal is with this financial stewardship workshop. You're going to get a whole lot of theology being taught by me, and you're going to get a whole lot of practical application and practical tools being taught by you, Dickie. And so if you are out there listening to this right now, I would encourage you, go to our website, tnproject.org slash money, and you can sign up to be with us in person, or you can even watch it on our live stream option. Uh, And the cool thing about the live stream option is you don't actually have to watch it when it's going on live. You will get access to all four weeks for the entirety of the duration of the workshop. So it's great. I mean, my wife and I, uh, when Chad and Laura and them were doing the marriage workshop, my wife and I bought the online option. And we started actually, when it was four weeks in, we started watching it because then we just had time to do it. And it was great. We finished the whole thing. We got a very good value. Um, And so if you cannot make the workshop, which is going to be on May 2nd, May 9th, May 16th, and May 23rd, that's the first four Mondays in the month of May, it'll be from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at the Field Church in Mandeville. If you can't make that in person, then I would really encourage you to just consider buying that live stream option. It's $129. Um, If you're a covenant member of the Field Church, it's only $89. And so, um, again, I can't say it enough. I'd encourage you, get that, and you will be blessed by all of the information. And um, certainly you will walk away with a workable financial plan that can help you honor God in your finances and also get you to where you need to go. So what we're going to do today... Hey, Mike, um, real quick before you jump into uh-huh. it, just talking about the value, I was, while you were talking, I Googled, like, you know, because I don't think a lot of people understand the value that they get from a financial plan, which yeah. is what we'll be working through. Mm-hmm. Um, I just Googled, how much does a financial plan cost, right? Yeah. And you look up on Nerd Wallet, it says anywhere from $1,000 to $3,000. Uh, Michael Kitts, it says anywhere from 3000 to 7000 um, another one says 1500 to $3,000. And that's what these are. These are professionals that sit down with people and then they charge. And mm-hmm. again, they vary, but it's putting together everything that we're going to be talking about in this workshop. Yeah. Um, and that's what people want, right? Yes. There's millions of people out there that says, what do I do rightly with my money? And now you're getting that and you're also getting, okay, well, what does God say about it on top of that? Which is priceless. Yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, we're definitely not charging thousands of dollars, but I'm sure we could, right? But our, our objective is to help people understand who God is and what he says so that they can worship him, right? Um, and that's how we help people replace their hopelessness with hope. So what we're going to do today for you listeners out there is just do a broad overview of the four-week workshop. We're not going to do the workshop right now, obviously, but we're going to take a 30,000-foot view. And really, my objective today is just to share with you some of the theology undergirding uh, what Dickie's going to put forward as a workable financial plan for, for all of you out there listening. And so I hope it blesses you. That's the objective. Um, but we're not going to do everything, right? So again, uh, go sign up for the workshop. But in week one, what we're going to do is it's going to be titled Getting Your Financial House in Order. And effectively, we're going to do just that. We're going to be building out the foundation for this financial house. We're going to be framing the house and we're going to be filling the house and we're going to learn how to maintain the house. Now, the first section there, building the house, is really all of the fundamental theological concepts that will undergird everything that we're going to talk about. Number one, and this is the most important one, and this is pervasive in every arena of life, 
is that God created us, mankind, for his glory. And what that means is that he created us to reflect him here on earth. We are his representative here on earth. If you read Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made male and female. He created male and female, and he created them in the likeness of himself. And that, that was very important in the context of the chapter because everything else that God created was very different than mankind. It was either an animal or it was just vegetation, uh, or it was the universe, right? And so mankind was, was the only created being to be created in the likeness of God. And we were meant to reflect the glory of God here on earth by spreading his image around the earth. And so that is a very foundational uh, uh, building block. And, and as it pertains to money, we have to understand, like I mentioned earlier on, that we were created for his glory. That means that we, we reflect him by walking in the things that he has told us to do. And that pertains directly to how we use our money. And so undergirding that is we have to understand that all money belongs to God, like I said earlier, right? Every single penny that you have in your bank account, it all comes from God. You know, John the Baptist said, um, a man cannot even have a single thing unless it has first been given to him from above. That's in John chapter three. And that, of course, includes your money. And so um, it's very important to understand that. The second thing we're going to, or the third thing rather that we're going to move on to in, while we're building this foundation is that God has actually given people the power to get wealth. This is in Deuteronomy 8.18. Uh, and, and I think this is really important because if you look over just the history of the Christian religion, Dickie, a lot of people have very different concepts about money. Like they think it's actually a sin to even have money. They think we're supposed to literally sell all of our possessions and give it to the poor. What would I mean, what would you say in response to that? Well, I mean, I, I would say they read maybe the beginning of Acts, you mm -hmm. know, and they say, okay, I'm going to take that specific verse right there and I'm going to say, okay, this is the way we should all live for the rest of our lives. Um, but and then if you read Deuteronomy, like you mentioned, some would say, okay, well, we were, it was made for to, to bless us if we do what God commands us to. Yeah. Uh, and if he doesn't, then I would say, it goes on, I think, in that chapter to say, okay, but if I don't do it, as he tells me to, well, then I will be a borrower, mm -hmm. uh, not the lender. Yeah. So there's so much out there, but yeah. I would say that, that there's a lot, 800 times the, Bi the Bible mentions money. Wow. So being able to truly understand that, which is the value that I know the research you've put in um, over the last couple of weeks, yeah. um, getting ready for this, um, tremendous value because it's opened my eyes and I don't want to take too much time on this because you were on a roll. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I remember when I first got saved and I was looking to do what was right, you know, I went to my elder, I went to Sam and I said, Hey, what should I be doing? I want to make sure I get this right mm -hmm. in God's eyes. It reminds me of we're reading Acts right now. It's like, okay, well, Philip, you know, chased down the chariot mm -hmm. and the Ethiopian said like, Hey, how do I know unless yeah. somebody's there to teach me? So it's just so valuable what they're going to yeah. get in regards to what you're, you're talking about uh, in good. two weeks. That's so good. How will I know unless someone teaches me? So God has in fact given us the power to get wealth. Like we've said in the scriptures that we have mentioned. So that's, that has a lot of implications, which we're going to dive to in just a bit. But the next thing we have to understand is that money itself, money itself is not evil. It's just a tool. It is what we would say amoral. There's no moral component to the actual object of money, right? Uh, which is another thing that a lot of people get wrong, right? They misinterpret 1 Timothy 6, 
which says for the love of money is the root or a root, depending on your translation, of all kinds of evil, right? It's not money. Money is a necessary um, commodity, right? It is the most marketable commodity. And we have to have it in order to operate in this economic system that we find ourselves in. Money's a good thing, right? It's from God. All things that God gives us, they can be used for good or for evil, right? And so uh, another thing to keep in mind is that becoming financially responsible and building wealth actually aren't that complicated. I mean, it can get super complicated, as I'm sure you know, Dickie, but at its base, it's really not. There's fundamental principles that we're going to dive into that undergird the whole thing, right? And some of those things are actually so obvious that you might forget them. Did you know that when we're talking about framing this financial house, did you know that God actually has um, some economic mechanisms for building wealth? So once we frame it up, which is you know going through the theology of the things that we just talked about, we got to fill the house, right? And he's got those economic mechanisms for building wealth. Number one, it's work. I mean, that's so obvious, right? right. But that's, that's it, right? What does Dave Ramsey say about your ability to increase your income? It's like the most powerful wealth building tool you have. Right. And it's in work, right? So work actually is a divine principle. I mean, think about this, Dickie. In chapter two of Genesis, what do we see Adam do? God takes him, puts him in the garden, and he says, work and keep this garden, right? right? So Adam is working. And now, listener, Keep in mind that Adam's working, and this is before sin ever even entered into the picture. So God ordained this principle of work before sin. Now, that's led me, as I've been thinking about this, to really think about his relationship to work before sin or, you know, our relationship to work before sin. You know, a lot of people think about work and they just kind of go, uh, you know, and that's why you hear people say, well, you got to do something you love. You got to find your passion. Right. And even if you have, you are doing your passion, right? Like I consider myself to be doing my passion. I still have that uh, mentality sometimes or even a physical feeling, right? Especially when I was a personal trainer full-time, you know? Right. Like, oh, God, I got to bend over and pick this weight up again. But Adam, before sin, never had that relationship to work. Right. I mean, it was satisfying, right? The, I'm sure he sweat, right? But it wasn't like that exhaustion that he feels. Like if he was exhausted, he must have been fully satisfied in his work. Right. And um, I think that there that's profound, number one. Well, you had me thinking too. It's just like, and this might not be as profound, but I was thinking like, so debt, you know, a buddy of mine calls debt. He just calls it, you know, future labor owed. Uh-huh. Which is mean, man, you got to go work it off, right? So everybody's got a salary that's promised money. Like when we go to work, it's it's still labor and it's mm-hmm. and it's debt, right? Because they owe us money that we got to go work for, and you go, oh man, this is so tough, or oh, hard day at work, right? Yeah. But when I think about my favorite things when I'm working, like when I'm in my yard, and there's nobody paying me, right? And there's no like no debt that I'm trying to pay off to get this money to to fix my garden. When I'm literally just mowing my grass, and I think every man does it after he's cuts his grass. He walks to the front of the yard. He turns around <laughs> and he looks at it and goes, it is good. Uh, like, it is ah. good. <laughs> like that is, yep. it's fun work, right? When yep. there's no expectations of actually um, getting an income from it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just, you just had me going down that road of like, man, when I'm working, when there's nothing expected from me other than just putting in hard work on yeah. the land, it feels really, really Satisfying. good. Satisfying. Yep. So, so take that and multiply it to infinity, right? right? That was before sin. 
And then sin enters into the picture and it fundamentally alters our relationship to everything, including work. Um, there's a word that's used by Solomon in the Proverbs to describe work. It is the Hebrew word amal, and it literally means misery, <laughs> labor, uh, wearing effort, pain. Right. This is the word that is translated labor in the uh, book of Proverbs and in the book of Ecclesiastes. I think that word sums it up. That is the typical experience uh, after sin, right? Now, when everyone's born, to work. It's just like, oh, you know, it's misery, it's labor, right? So Solomon uh, chose that word, I think, very purposely. But we're going to discuss some of the heart attitudes that go into our work, kind of like what we've already been discussing. But specifically, you know, again, knowing that work is a divine wealth-building principle and, and also knowing that God ordained it for, for mankind to be spending most of his time doing, right? Um, there's very specific heart attitudes that should go into it. Number one, I think the most important one, probably the all-encompassing one, is we have to view it as worship, right? We have to, right? Um, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, right? Um, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, mm -hmm. right? So we have to view work as worship, and that will fundamentally change our relationship, and, and especially how we think, to our work, right? It doesn't really matter what you're doing. I mean, like I just said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So we're going to discuss some of the hard attitudes. We're going to talk about how often one should work, biblically speaking, right? We're going to confront some of the um, contemporary ideas like the four-hour work week and those types of things. Mm -hmm. um, we're a little bit more lenient on the definition of work than I think some people might assume. When I when I say work, yes, I mean producing an income. Right. But we know Paul the apostle for a lot of the work that he did, to which he received very little income for, i.e., his ministry. Right. So work in God's eyes is not just producing an income. Okay. It is doing the ministry that He's called you to as well. Right. And I, you know, sometimes you don't get paid for that. Right. I know a lot of people who don't get paid for any ministry work. Right. That doesn't mean that it's not work. Right. Okay, so we do make a distinction when we discuss work during our workshop. And then another part, which honestly, when I was writing this part uh, concerning how to make decisions, right? That could be a whole nother workshop. Like, how do you know the will of God for your life and how do you make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we're going to deep dive how to even make a godly decision in the first place. And I'm not going to get into that here because I will go off on a massive tangent. Right, I bet. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, that's a very, very interesting uh, topic and it's going to help us understand you know, how much we should work, how to choose where we should go work and the heart attitude behind our work. You have anything to say at this point before I move on? No, keep moving. You're on a roll. Let's move. Okay, so then we're going to talk about how to grow one's income primarily through investing in savings, right? And uh, Dickie, I know you're a big saver. Uh, but you also believe in the in the power of um, compounding interest as right. well. So you just teach us what is compounding interest and why should people care? Right. Well, you kind of just said it. it's like anybody. There's I forget Dave Ramsey didn't say it, but anybody can increase their work hours, right, and make more money. Mm -hmm. um, but what we try to do is saying, how can I take the money that I have and make it work for me? Yes. So compounding interest is just taking money earned, reinvesting it on top of the money that was already there, and letting that start to compile on top of itself. And it doesn't look like much in the beginning, but over time, when this money keeps compounding on top of itself, it starts multiplying a lot faster than it would mm -hmm. if you were to just not reinvest and yeah. take the money earned. Yeah. I forgot, my wife and I were like, she's a big saver, right? And her, her mindset about investing 
early on in our marriage was like um, a lot different than mine, right? And so showing her kind of some of the principles behind compounding interest and um, how really when you invest, I mean, obviously depending on the performance of the investment, right. you're really just leveraging, you know, not using debt, but you're just leveraging the power of that money because it's working for you, right? And so um, it, it really is an important thing. And there's so many scriptures that we're going to talk about in the workshop where God actually expects you as a steward of the of his own resources to grow those resources, right? right. I mean, the, the parable that comes, I'm sure, to your mind, Dickie, and to my mind is the parable of the talents, mm-hmm. right? Or the minas, depending on, you know, which part of the gospel you're in. There's three, there's three servants, right? The first servant, I think he 10Xs right. the master's investment. Second one, five Xs. And then the third one sticks it in the ground. Very reckless, by the way. Put right. it in a handkerchief. Right. Like once you go put it in a lockbox at home or under your mattress would be better than the ground. Right. So the master says to that servant, you wicked servant, why didn't you put my money mm-hmm. on deposit with the bankers so that I may come back and collect it with interest? interest. Wow. Now there was no stock market around back then. Stock market didn't pop up till about the 1500s. So putting it with the bankers was a investment in their minds. And it, you know, unfortunately this low interest rate environment, it it could still be an investment, but not with the current economic situation we have, right? But the point of that parable isn't necessarily an economic one, but I mean, in the context of the gospel, right? Right. But it shows you an economic perspective that Jesus himself is supporting by using that, that, that parable in the first place, right? We are expected to take the resources that our master has loaned out to us. Like we're co-owners with, with him in, in these resources. And we're expected to grow them, period, right? Now, we're not expected to necessarily 100x or 10x even everything, right? Right. But, we're, but the heart attitude behind it is, man, I want to be an effective steward with the master's money, right? Yep. You know, if, if, if my boss, right, let's say my boss loans me $100,000 right. and says, Mike, I need you to take this money. I need you to, to use it wisely so that we can grow our business. And I go, oh man, but I don't really, like I'm kind of afraid of the boss, man. I don't want to lose any of his money. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to like hide it under my mattress. Right. He would be mad, right? And so that's effectively the entire point of the parable that Jesus uses. So we are expected to grow the income uh, or grow our income rather because it, it honors God, right? Right. And I would say that's kind of, you know, we're talking about week three of our growing money and investing and what, what goals that we have. But I mean, if you skip over the basics, right, that's what I think a lot of people, they'll come and they'll be like, okay, what stock can I buy? Or what mutual right. fund should I get? Or how do I 10X my money? Or what do you think about this investment? I said, whoa, 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 we, we can't skip the basics, yeah, right? Because the first thing we have to do is learn how to just move the needle, mm-hmm. right? Like, have we developed the habit of putting money away? Because mm-hmm. that is far more important than you picking the right stock. Yes. Right? Everybody's like, man, if I just get that right, the, you I mean, I hear that all oh, the time. Oh, if I just bought Tesla two years ago. If that's I just, you know, that's right. Yeah, yeah, all the time, yeah. right? Um, Dogecoin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything and everything, right? The AMC, yeah. all that oh, stuff that was goodness. going on. But again, that's not important. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's just not as important as, hey, I know I have to actually have some type of systematic process mm-hmm. of saving money. Yeah. Um, and that's the hardest thing for people to, to really get. It really is. It really is. So we're going to talk about those wealth building principles. Those are God's economic mechanisms for building wealth, work, 
savings and investing, and then careful planning was the third one. Mm-hmm. And that's why we got you here because you are a professional at that. Um, and I love how you do it in a way that honors God. Um, and so careful planning is, um, is, is absolutely required. I mean, nobody gets rich by accident, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I mean by that. Right. There's very few people who do, right? They win the lottery or whatever, but they don't hold on to it. No, two and a half years. Right. So nobody gets rich and stays wealthy by accident, right? It, it takes knowledge, it takes wisdom, and it takes careful planning, right? And so any, any sort of words of wisdom on, on careful planning, what's a, good, what's a good way for someone who hasn't even started a budget to sort of conceptualize what they need to start thinking about and do? As far as uh, careful planning is concerned, um, I mean, obviously, start with the foundation is is truly understand like how much money do I have coming in, and how much money has to go out, mm-hmm. right? Like if you don't understand, like ask that all the time, you know. One of the first questions is, "What is your take home pay?" Oh, and if they can't answer that, and then what are your bills? What are your fixed bills? And then they start listing them off, and they don't know. That means, hey, they don't really spend a lot of time mm-hmm. understanding what's owed and what they actually need to make. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad always told me, he says, he said, son, when you go into business, it's simple. He says, bring in more money than goes out. Yeah. Like that was like the step one, right? Which is kind of a Dave Ramsey type thing, which is like, hey, don't borrow any money. Like mm-hmm. have it first. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we'll talk about good debt and bad debt yeah, and, we're gonna talk and about how we next. leverage it. But uh, that's the first thing that they need to figure out is what is your philosophy on money? Yeah. Like, what do you have one, right? And Chad says it all the time. Um, we are what we believe. Yes. So what do you believe about money? What do you believe about God? Yeah. So when I ask people what their philosophy is, right, on their budget, um, and, you know, I say, hey, do you have your budget? And they give it to me, your philosophy on budget, and they just give me their bills written down on a piece of paper. Yeah. I said, that's just bills written down on a piece of paper. That's not a philosophy. That's not a budget. Yeah. Right? A budget says, okay, what am I systematically going to do with all of my money? Mm-hmm. Not just how am I going to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And again, that's why we're going to talk about the reality of you know becoming wealthy and, and being fiscally responsible is actually not difficult. It's, it's really not. Right. Well, you actually, and um, when you said win the lottery, one of the reasons why they do not la- hold on to that money, it's the average inheritance, whether it be from the lottery or passing down from uh, your parents, mm-hmm. um, if you get it early, mm-hmm. it's about two and a half years till all that money's gone. Wow. And it's because you haven't built the habit. Yes. So there's no habit. So whatever that habit is, and I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but how a man spends a little bit of money is how he'll manage a lot. Yeah, I if forget you're faithful with a little bit, you'll yep. be faithful, faithful with a lot. lot. Yep. So... Again, it's the same principle, biblical principle that's there. It's like, no, 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 whatever you do with the $10 in your pocket is probably what you're going to do with the million dollars in your so pocket. So true, so true. That is, that is a good point to make. <clears throat> now, we've mentioned debt. Because you do hear that all the time. Yeah. When I get money, then I'll be a good giver. Right. When I get money, then I'm going to be a good saver. Yeah. But as of now. I'm going to let all that money go through my hands. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I've been there. I've been there. You know, I wasn't homeless uh, by accident, right? right? I was living under a bridge because that was part of it, mm-hmm. you know? I worked in restaurants. I got cash. worked in nice restaurants in Carmel, right, in yep. California. Got cash, mm-hmm. burned that cash that night because I knew, or I thought I knew, I'd get more tomorrow. Okay, make more. Hey, work, when, work when I'm hungry. That's foolishness, right? That's foolishness. Uh, and that was me. But thank God for his grace. And Amen. so we have been talking about debt. We've mentioned it, but guess what? We're going to talk a lot about debt because it's very important. Um, now, the basic general principle in the Bible, as far as I can tell, 
And I spent a long time studying this over the past week, couple of weeks here. Um, what undergirds the whole thing is this, Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That is true regardless of why you're taking out debt. Regardless, whether it's quote unquote good debt, mm-hmm. and we'll describe what that means, or bad debt, right? And we'll describe what that is. Um, that is the general principle, listener, that you have to understand no matter what, that the borrower is slave to the lender, okay? Um, now, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about the theology of spiritual debt to God to start the whole conversation off. But in a nutshell, it's this. All of mankind is born into being a slave to sin. This is what the Bible expressly and explicitly teaches. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Romans chapter 6, read verses, or read chapter 6, read chapter 7, and you'll see this. This is exactly the language that Paul uses. We are a slave to sin, right? Because we have chosen to follow sin and make uh, sin our master, uh, we owe a spiritual debt to God. The soul mm-hmm. that sins will die. Ezekiel 18.33 says that. The soul that sins will die. So our debt to God is our life. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is that God sent his son who lived a perfect spiritual and moral life, who by his death satisfied the righteous requirement of God. He paid our debt. And we're literally going to deep dive that. It's, it's a beautiful picture. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished, that is a word that means it is paid in full. And so um, there's actually evidence, Dickie, I was doing some, some research on the history of that word. There's evidence that that word is actually used in economic transactions throughout mm-hmm. history. The word that Jesus said while he's on the cross. That's so good. It's amazing, right? Because this is the, the reality, is that all mankind owns a, owes a spiritual debt to God. God owns everything, right? He owns mm-hmm. your life. And you owe it to him, period. Right? We're, we're sitting here with our fist up in the air trying to live it for ourselves, not to live it for him. So that, that's very important. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about that principle which undergirds um, the economic sense of debt, right? Which is that the borrower is slave to the lender. And I added this next section in here because I'm really into it, but I think it's very pertinent for the Christian to understand what kind of banking system honors God. Mm-hmm. In other words, what does God have to say about banking? Is banking evil? No. I mean, God created it, right? right? However, the current banking system that we are all living in, and when I say all, I mean the entire globe, is what's known as the fractional reserve banking system. Um, now, if your eyes are glazing over right now, I'll take a quick second to breathe. <sighs> okay. Fractional reserve banking. Uh, effectively, what this does is it creates multiple indebtedness and this violates biblical principles concerning loans. So without getting too deep, because I'm going to do this in the workshop, for every dollar or for every hundred dollars that we deposit, right? Assuming that the bank's reserves, reserve requirements are, 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 are 10%, right? For every $100 that is deposited, the bank is able to then create through loaning money out on those dollars up to 800 plus dollars that don't exist, right. but they exist on balance sheets, right? So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, effectively money is created out of thin air through debt. That's how our entire system works. The fractional reserve banking system is exactly that. 
when you put money into a bank, they only have to keep a fraction of that deposit on reserve because they are loaning long-term, but they're allowing you to make a short-term withdrawal. So if you know anything about the history of this country, you'll remember the Great Depression, right? And there was a lot of bank runs happening back then. Now, what a bank run is, is when everyone runs to the bank and tries to take all their money, all their out. money out. Now, they had some problems with that because there was no money in the banks. Well, that's because we exist under a fractional reserve banking system. And so uh, we're going to talk about why that's important to the Christian because, again, we're trying to honor God. And yet we exist in a system that does not honor God. So what can we do? How can the Christian honor God in the debt-based system is the question I'm going to answer. And um, number one, we can get educated, right? We can mm -hmm. get educated biblically, and we can get educated financially. So we can follow God's principles, right, concerning debt and, and use discernment. And so this is where I want to take a second to talk about the difference between what we call good debt mm -hmm. and bad debt. Because we have to be able to use discernment, which can only come if we know the truth. So can you just give us some distinguishing marks? On good debt and bad debt? Yes, please. Um, super simple. Let's say uh, bad debt is credit card debt. 18% interest rate. I get a credit card and I put $1,000 on it and it charges me. And if I pay my minimum payments, I'm getting charged 18%, right? Mm. All of that is going to the bank, right? And it's taken me a very long time to pay it off. I end up paying maybe $3,000 in total instead of the 1000 mm. right? Um, where it's not tied to any appreciating asset, right? right. It's, it's not productive. It's not productive. I'm literally, they're, they're charging me a, a very high interest rate for me to borrow that uh, initial thousand. Mm. Uh, good debt is, let's just call it a house, sure. right? The housing market is on Fire. pretty good run right now. To the um, moon. But on average, over a 30-year period, it averages about 3 <laughs> to 4%. So you say, okay, my house appreciates, right? If I buy a house at 200000 in 10 years, it could be 300000 mm -hmm. um, But the bank loans me money and charges me an interest rate right now. It's like interest arbitrage, which is, hey, if I'm mm -hmm. getting a 25 or 3% interest rate, my house is going up by 4%. In a sense, I'm actually making money on mm -hmm. the money borrowed. Yeah. So that's kind of the difference between do I have an appreciating asset mm -hmm. um, that's outpacing the interest that it's costing me Yeah. compared to hey, this is not tied to any appreciating asset. It's literally just interest that it's costing me. That's good. I'll say it in, a, in another way. Yeah. That just meets, meets the biblical principles that we've already talked about. Remember how I said, listener, that God expects you to be productive right. with the money he gives you, right? So if you're a business person, let's say, and you have a, a, a solid business plan, right? And you're going you're gonna to meet some needs that customers have, but the only thing you're lacking is money. Right. Well, then all you need to go do is get the money. That's why banks are there. They want to loan you the money so they can make money, right? And so this is an example of productive debt, right? I'm going to go borrow $100,000 because I know, based on my business plan, uh, there's a very high probability that I'll take that 100 grand and I'll turn it into 300 grand, right? That's good debt, right? The bank gets paid off. I pay the interest off. Uh, I make what I want on it and the customer makes what they want on it. This right. is the free market as it works, right? right? And this is a good thing, right? We are being productive with the debt. The principle still remains that as long as I'm in debt, I'm still a slave to the lender, right? But I'm a productive, I have a productive business plan as opposed to unproductive debt, which would also be called like consumer debt, right? Which you talked about with the credit card, Dickie. Right. If I'm going to go to the bank and ask them for a loan to buy a big screen t television, that's just dumb. Right. That's just stupid. You don't need a big TV. It's not productive for you. It's, in fact, the opposite, right. right? They'll give it to you, though. Oh, they'll give it to you, and they'll like it. Yep. But that type of debt does not honor God because 
it's not productive, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be productive. And God wants you to be productive. And it's, you know, and that's, we'll, we'll get into it in the workshop, but those are the things when you talk about, build, you know, building your, getting your financial house in order. Mm-hmm. Uh, credit cards, I kind of call like that closet that you sweep everything into before people come over, right? <laughs> like, oh no, like my house is clean, I swear. And then they just put it all in this one big closet and yeah. it's a mess, yeah. right? You don't really have a clean house, yeah. right? Like, no, you don't really deserve that. You just put it all on a credit card. Now your monthly payment is fine. But again, the interest that you're going to be paying towards that, you're triple, if not quadruple paying for this product that you should have diligently saved for. Right. And you know, one of the cool things, uh, once you've gotten the basics down that we've been talking about, like you you have a philosophy behind your budget, right? You're in control of your money. The money's not in control of you. Hey, look, funny story, Mindy and Brittany, uh, Brittany Miller, they were talking because they just went to a class on how to uh, make uh, sourdough bread. Oh, nice. And this is super relevant. She was talking about it this morning because when you make sourdough bread, there's like this starter, right? Uh It's like this Uh alive thing they keep in the, I don't know too much about it. She was telling me. It's like a culture, yeah. The culture, yeah. Yeah. You got to keep it alive. You have to feed it. You have to feed it. And it grows. And as it grows, she's got to make bread. So she's making bread every two days, Yeah. right? And then she's got to pound it and then she's got to let it sit for 24 hours. And Brittany was telling her, she was like, listen, we better take control of this bread. This <laughs> bread can't control us. Yes. Like, we like managing the bread. We like eating it. But we cannot let this thing control us. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's so true with money, too. It's like, yeah. yes, we have money, but some people let it control them rather than getting a good hold on their budget. Yes. And they're just like, man, they're just constantly worried about it. How much is this? How much is that? How yeah. much is this? How much is that? It's like, no, 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 we've got everything figured out. We've got a process. We've got a maintenance plan. Mm-hmm. And now we've got organization. We can move forward with our life. That's so good. You know, what I was going to say is about credit cards specifically. Once you have all those things you just said, right. you can actually use credit cards to your advantage. Absolutely. They give you 1.5% on your on your spending. Yep. So as long as you're spending money you actually have and pay it off immediately, mm-hmm. you will make 1.5% on your spending. That's what I do. Right. Everything runs through my credit card. And I pay it off the second it posts. Yep. Right. I never buy things with money I don't have. I just yep. don't do it. That's part of my philosophy of money, right? Um, obviously, starting businesses would be a different thing, different, but right. we started the My Project debt-free. We have we have no debt now. Right. So, you know, if I had a convincing enough business plan and I needed money that I couldn't get some other way, maybe I would, but until that day comes, I'm just not going to do it. Right. I'd rather be in control of my money than it control me. So the question we're still on is, how can a Christian honor God in a debt-based system? Number one, we said get educated biblically and financially. Number two is get a plan, which if you come to the workshop, you will leave with a plan. And then you got to get serious. Yep. So what about what about those? Well, I was going to say, so, you know, the same question you could ask is, how can a Christian live a Christian life in a fallen world? That's a right? very good way to put it. So we're doing the same thing, right? We know that there's sin and lust and desire all over the world, and, and money's just another tool for the devil that he can take mm-hmm. um, on both sides, on both spectrums, right? The rich ruler, sell yeah. all your possessions, he walked away sad. The man who's a slave to debt, right, who makes that his lord. Like, the love mm-hmm. of money can go on both spectrums. Like, That's I true. can love it to where I, I just, I put my hope in making it, and then also I love it to where I focus every single hour on how do I manage this and get out of debt. Yeah, um, So That's a good point. When you sit there, it's like, hey, there's biblical principles that we'll walk through to say, okay, I need to really have a good awareness of, hey, what is in line with what God tells me to do? Yeah. Am I living in that structure or am I living in my sinful structure? Yeah. And again, it's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Not going to get it right every time, just like our, our sin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There are times where we make mistakes, but we have those biblical structures where we say, okay, time to repent, time to get back to the basics, time to adjust. 
That's right. Well put. So the last thing that we're going to bring up on today's podcast is actually going to be in week two of the workshop, and is it is going to be titled, What Does God Say About Giving? Now, this week is going to be just an hour and a half of a literal overview of the entire Bible. We're going to go from chapter one of Genesis all the way through up to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Um, and it's not going to be an exhaustive treatment necessarily, but it's going to take an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to be really focusing on is, number one, we're going to clarify some of the common misunderstandings concerning giving, um, specifically the 10% idea. And this is a very, very common um, idea. In fact, I used to think that this is what God required. Same here. Um, it wasn't until fairly recently, within the last couple of years, that I began to understand this is, in fact, not what the Bible teaches. Now, some of you, your heartbeat may have just started going through the roof. You're going to want to hear what we've got to say, more importantly, what the Bible has to say about this. Now, the 10% idea just doesn't work. There's there's three primary problems with it. Number one, it conflates um, the notion of required giving and free will giving. So it, it tries to make them both the same thing, but by definition, they can't be the same thing. So that's that's the first primary issue is it conflates them, and I'm going to deep dive why that is. Number two, it's very lopsided, um, meaning this, that there's two components that we have to have in our mind whenever we talk about money uh, or anything, for that matter, in the Christian life. That's, that is the faith component and the wise planning approach, right? So um, the faith component with with giving would be like, well, I'm just gonna you know give as much as I possibly can whenever God tells me to, right? <clears throat> well, what about your bills? Like, how, how are you gonna pay? Oh, well, the money's just gonna come because I I trust that God's gonna do it. That's called testing God. Mm-hmm. That's a sin. <laughs> okay, so that's a, that's a massive problem, right? And there's more that I'm gonna get into. But the other lopsided side of this is the wise planning approach. Well, the 10 percent idea works really well for my budget, mm-hmm. and Therefore, that's what I'm going to do, right? And I've justified it to where, man, I'm, I feel really good about my giving too. I feel really good. I'm checking the box. I've given my 10% and it works great for my budget. And I'm doing what God wants me to do. Right. Uh, well, that's wrong. And um, yes, it does work really great for your budget, but that's not what God requires of you. Now, l- just let me be very, very, very clear right now. There is nothing wrong or unbiblical with giving 10% of your finances. What is wrong and unbiblical is telling people that this is what God requires of you. Right. That's wrong. Right. So the, this is the mo- This is what you have to do, and um, this is what you should do. Right. That is wrong to teach that. Now, the the the, pro- the third primary problem is that it hinders what you could potentially do. Okay. Um, like, let's take three different people. Okay. Person A, person B, and person C. Okay. Let's assume for a fact, for one second, that the cost of living is $1,800, okay? Person A, person A makes $2,000 a month. They give their 10%, that leaves them with $0 at the end of the month Mm -hmm. because they've just paid $1,800 to live and then they were a faithful Christian and they gave their 10%. Now they have nothing, okay? Person B, person B makes $10,000 a month. They have given their 10%, which I don't know what that is. Is that $1,000, right? Uh, and then you deduct their living expenses of $1,800, that leaves them with a whole lot. $7,200. $7,200. I think. I think that's right. Yep. So person A has nothing. Person B has $7,200. And then person C, they're homeless. 
They can't even give 10%. So they must be in sin. You see how this problem just doesn't work, right? It limits what person B could potentially have given. Right. Person B probably could have given 40% of their income and still had a quite comfortable life. You see? Yep. Well, I would say it also like, uh, man, it just creates this opportunity for that person to still kind of live in their sin. Completely. And they say, man, what does that mean? Well, it's like, well, say he was ready, right? I got, I want to do what's right by God and I'm just, I'm giving money. I love giving money. And then all of a sudden somebody says, you know, all you really need to do is give 10. That's just mm. what God requires. He goes, oh, 10, that's it? That's it? Great. Okay. Check. I feel really good about myself. And now I get to go take my other 20% that I was giving that was easy in my budget, mm. right? And I'm, I'm using it for all those things that I like again. Yep. Right? All for myself. So, so the church is a living organism that is meant to be open to all people across all time span, right? And so if the homeless guy is prevented from being in the people of God because he cannot give 10%, right. you just shut someone out from the kingdom of heaven. Right. That's horrible, right? right? And the Lord had a lot to say to the Pharisees who did the same thing, right? right? Um, and then with the person B, like we've said, he could potentially or she could potentially give a whole lot more, right? Right. And then uh, person A is just unnecessarily burdened, has no money now, right? Because right? they, they were told that they have to give this 10%, right? So it just doesn't work, right? Those are just three of the primary issues with the 10% idea. And then there's another argument out there. I call it the pre-law argument where proponents of this argument say, well, Abraham, he tithed and so did uh, Isaac. They, tithed, they all tithed. Um, and since that was before the law, well, since the church doesn't exist under law, but under grace, well, we should tithe too. Well, there's a lot of problems with that line of reasoning. You know what else Abraham also did? Sacrificed animals. You know what else they also did? They started to um, celebrate the Sabbath close close to that Mosaic law period, right? right. And in the Mosaic law, uh, tithing took on a completely different meaning. And we're gonna deep dive that. So, you know, we wanna clarify some of the misconceptions about the 10% idea up front. And then we wanna really seek to understand the development of the two categories of giving that the Bible describes. Number one, free will giving, and number two, required giving. And we're gonna understand the development of those two categories in the Old Testament. Now, the development of free will giving, it, ha it has three characteristics. And these are shared before the Mosaic Law with Abraham and those other examples that I had mentioned that we're gonna deep dive. And after Jesus died in the New Testament church, these three characteristics are giving must be voluntary, must be proportionate to one's income, and it must be sacrificial. And a fourth one that I'll add is that it must always be done out of, heart, out of a heart that overflows with worship. So free will giving from Adam to Abraham is gonna be a, a portion of the deep dive that we do. We're gonna look at everything from Abraham's giving of a tithe to the mysterious figure known as Melchizedek. We're gonna describe the significance of the tithe that he gave and even this, the significance of the number 10, which is the meaning of tithe. It means a 10th part, right? It's 10%. That's what a tithe is, right? So we're going to really deep dive that. It's going to be, I think, a blessing to a lot of people. And we're going to uh, continue on and, and understand the development of required giving. Now, required giving um, from Joseph in the Old Testament all the way up to Jesus is taxation. Mm -hmm. Tithing in the Old Testament was taxation uh, at, during the Mosaic Law period. And we're going to look at the three types of tithes. Number one, the agricultural tithe. Number two, the Levitical tithe. And number three, the welfare tithe. Essentially, without getting too deep into all these, all of those are 10%. The welfare tithe was given every third and sixth year 
of the seven-year sabbatical cycle. So the total annual tithe roughly for an Israelite was more like 23%, not 10%. Right. So if, if you, you are, average it out. If you average it out. It's more than that sometimes. If you are a proponent of the 10% required giving idea, you have no scriptural support for that. Not in the old, not in the new. There's none. So if you want to say tithing is God's way of giving, you got to up your giving to 23% minimum. Right. <laughs> okay, it just doesn't work because tithing is a tax. And we know that taxes are not optional, right? Uh, in fact, you know, people talk about Malachi. They use Malachi 3.10 a lot. Um, talking about test the Lord in this and see if I don't open up a storehouse as a yeah. blessing on you. Um, and, and, and that's a good place to go. You know, actually two verses before that in the eighth verse, God says, you are robbing me of the tithe. Well, if the tithe is God's required or God's uh, plan for giving, how can you rob God if it's supposed to be a free will giving offering, right? Well, that's because tithing isn't a free will offering. It's required giving. It's taxation. And if you don't give your taxes to God, that's yeah. stealing from God, right? And so, you know, the uh, the parallel today to that is, is us paying our taxes to the government, right? Right. You know, Romans 13 says that government is the minister of God to keep order in a society. And so we still have to pay our taxes today. As much as some of us might not like it, uh, that is God's ordained method to fund the government, which is the institution that he has ordained. That doesn't mean everyone in it is a Christian or loves God, but right. the institution itself is what we're, um, we're required to give to, right? So the whole point of this is to follow the development of tithing through the Old Testament to see where the confusion lies, because there, I have to admit, after I've studied it, it can be confusing, right? But once we get through the entirety of it, we go, at, we come out the other end with some clear understanding that that free will giving and tithing um, are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Free will giving is what the church has been prescribed to be participating in. Tithing is what was required for the Israelites because that's what funded their government. Right. You got any any comments on that before we move on? Well, I'm just I'm just so encouraged for everybody to show up, right, and learn because when you ask, it's like who taught them that? Right? Mm -hmm. Where did you learn these things from? And everybody has this they grew up in a church where there could be somebody that learned about the ten percent or there could be somebody that just learned about you know, I grew up in the Catholic background. For me it was just throw a dollar in the bucket, you know, and it's mm -hmm. not that I just, my mom never talked about it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what she did above and beyond that. My mom's one of the most giving people, and she probably gave all their money away, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but I never was taught anything, right? So when I grew up and I had a family, it was just, you know, I just kept throwing dollars in the bucket until somebody told me maybe 10% was a good idea, which was mm -hmm. a buddy who learned it from a church, who learned mm -hmm. it from a pastor, who learned it from this person or read this book. And, yeah. and they were all Christian books and Christian guidelines and Christian principles, um, but again, they, they just took a piece. Yeah. So, Hey, let's take the entirety of it and say, okay, what do we really, should we be doing? Yeah. And it's the first time that I've ever heard it when I was going through it with you of saying, mm -hmm. okay, let's get it all out there. Yeah. Let's get it all out there. There's no hidden agenda. That's what I, I just, there's no hidden agenda here. Right. Right. The, the agenda is I want people to become better stewards of their finances for their personal lives so they can be more focused on God. That's so good. And if they could do that, that's the purpose of this project that's the purpose yeah. of this workshop mm -hmm. um there is no like well hope we get 10 percent, you right. know because that'll increase the the workshop no right yeah. it's like this is a, for you so that you can be a better steward of your finances for god that's exactly right and we're going to end that week two discussion 
with the third section, which is really, we just want to deepen our worship of God in truth through understanding his heart for giving. I mean, that's right. like you just said, that's the agenda, right? Yep. It's not to make sure that you guys, you know, give more money to the Nehemiah project or, you know, give a certain percentage to your church, right? Like the, here's the, here's the issue is I think people just want to, for simplicity's sake, have a number, right? Right. God doesn't give you a number. He gives you principles. That's like how it is with everything, you yeah. know? Now, the law was given to show you what sin is, right? In the New Testament, we're not under law. We're under grace, right? We have the law to look at to go, oh, that's what sin is. So when I do this, I know that I'm sinning, right? But we have principles that relegate every aspect of our life in the New Testament. Yeah. And it's no different with giving. You know, that's what, and what I'll talk about is, okay, well, I am going to give a number, okay? So, yeah, me too. Know, in my workshop, I'm going to give a number on, hey, these are some principles that will help you live a more spiritual life. Yeah. Because, okay, well, now I'm going to figure out what is my fixed amount because I want you to live within your means. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm actually living within my means, I'm not stressed financially and I can give more attention to God. So true. Okay, well, I need a number. So, there's a good number for that. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a good number for, hey, what should I do for the things that I want today so mm -hmm. I can enjoy my life, yeah. right? Okay, well, there's a number for that. And that means, okay, I get to enjoy giving gifts to my children and to my friends or to my neighbor. Yeah. And then there's also, okay, well, what should I plan for in the future? Well, there's a number for that too, which means, hey, I'm not worried about having money in the future either. Mm -hmm. So I've got that number. And if we live those three principles out, like within those guidelines is what we're going to give, well, then you have more time to focus on things that matter rather than stressing out over probably one of the number one, one of the most yeah. stressful situations that are out there in regards to our lives, which is our money. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'll just be transparent with myself. So I give 10% right. because I want to, right? right? It has to be proportionate and voluntary. So yep. I voluntarily give 10% just off the top, no matter what, right. that's coming out. And then I give more on top of that as I get, you know, led, you know, by people coming up to me, asking me for money for, you know, like a campus outreach last yep. night. I want to give to that. Right. So I save more. We save, my family saves more than 10% for the purpose of giving, right? right? So we give 10% right off the top to, to the church that we're a member, we're members of. Um, and then we give to the building fund, right? That they're asking. Yep. So, so the point is this, right. like Dickie said, there, there, there's nothing wrong with having a particular percentage. Like I said earlier too, like if you give 10%, that's fine. As long as it's voluntary, that's what yeah. you want to do, right? Um, what is wrong is telling everyone that that's what God requires. That's not right. Because right. that's not what God says. You have no scriptural support for that argument anywhere in the Bible. Right. Um, and so um, yeah. I think people are going to be blessed by, you know, the freedom that comes from knowing what God actually says. Right. Well, like I said, I kind of feel like a little bit... Uh freed from it a little bit yeah. almost like since we've been going through it like i have been wanting to give more because there's more to give yes. and i was i was like man there's so many more opportunities that i've passed up because i've checked a box and said no 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 it's up to me right. and my free will if it's like no now i'm just living within this thing going like man i got there's plenty extra who needs blessing who today? needs it right exactly. you know and then man it's just the the closer i've become with with God, which is what he wants, right? right? It's like, hey, stop checking that box off. And then you were really kind of, and that's, I was kind of talking about myself earlier, yeah. which was, hey, I checked it off and I didn't have to give more. Yeah. Right. This is great. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why one of the three primary problems with the 10% idea is that it hinders people from what they could give, right? Yep. From what they potentially could give. So we're going to end this whole conversation off about giving with, you know, walking through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 
those two chapters are an exhaustive treatment of New Testament giving. And so I'm just going to exposit those, that text. I'm going to draw in the historical context of which Paul's writing in. Yep. Effectively, here, or essentially, here's what they needed to do. Don't tell them. Okay, effectively, I'm not going to tell you because it is so good. <laughs> it is so good. They got to show up. All right, well, then I'm not going to. But I, uh, that's what we're going to be going through is what does the New Testament specifically instruct us to do when it comes to giving? It's amazing. And um, like you said, Dickie, you're starting to have some of the fruit of that in your life, you know. Um, look, the, the bottom line is with money is that God has given us all things in the earth to enjoy, right? That's what it explicitly says in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Uh, in the Genesis account, God looked at everything he made and it was good. Okay, now that doesn't mean that you can just go running off into all the great fancies of sin and say, oh, well, I'm supposed to enjoy life. No, that's not what it means. But what it does mean is that money is not evil and you can enjoy it. It's okay. The best way to enjoy it is to do it the way that God wants you to do mm. it. That's the best way to enjoy it. You don't know how to best use your money. God does. That's right. So let's trust him, right? And um, just kind of in conclusion to this podcast, uh, I want you guys to walk away with that understanding that if, if, if you come away from this workshop or even this podcast with a deeper appreciation and understanding of what exactly God says about money, then as far as I'm concerned, Dickie, we have done our job. On, right. We have done our job. We are not doing this so we can make money, although we do charge for this. Uh, that money will go to the building fund that Nehemiah Project has. We are going to be moving. This right. is I'm actually dropping this news right now. We're going to be moving uh, to a new location in Mandeville, a more permanent location. Um, and we need to raise some money for the renovations for that. And so this is a great way for us to you know, not only drop that news, right. but to raise some money. But the point is not to raise money. The point is to make sure that you guys know exactly what it is that God says about money. Amen. Any final words before we sign off, Dickie? Just please, you know, if you were ever thinking that, I always talk about like, yes, there are do-it-yourself, do-it-yourselfers out there who like build their own houses, right? I just always, mm -hmm. since it's called getting your financial house in order, like people are like, oh yeah, I'll just self-contract it, which is great, right? But they still have to go do the research and figure mm -hmm. out how to do that. That's what this is, yeah. right? This is literally, if you wanted to be a do-it-yourselfer or if you wanted to continue and work with somebody, one of your professionals that you know, mm -hmm. great. But this is literally the research that's been condensed that would take hours and hours and weeks and weeks mm -hmm. to figure out how do I do this biblically? How do I do this professionally? How do I do this in a system that is well-maintained and researched and organized and it's going to get me exactly where I need to go or give mm -hmm. me a baseline? Mm -hmm. That's what this is. It's mm -hmm. for everybody. It's not for the person struggling. It is, right? right? Not just for the person struggling. It's not just for the person that has more money to right. give away. And it's not just for the money that has more money to invest. Right. Like this is for everybody. Mm -hmm. So please do not say, hey, that's for some people, not right. me. Right. It's for everybody. Right. Remember, you can go to our website, tnproject.org slash money to sign up for the first ever financial stewardship workshop with myself and Mr. Dickie Lyons. We say thank you and... We're glad that you listened to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.